Amen. While you're still standing, if you'll find Luke chapter 14, verse 25 is where we'll start this morning. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. If you remember, we've spent some time in the early chapters of Luke uh, leading up to Christmas, and now we return to where we were a few months back in Luke chapter 14, uh, verse 25. Let me read for us God's word, and I'll read through the end of the chapter. Now great crowds accompanied him, and that is Jesus. And Jesus turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. O Lord, would you open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law, that we would see Jesus for who He is, and that we would love Him and follow Him above all. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years back, my wife Amy and I were in a tough season. Uh, I had completed a little over half of my seminary education. I was going through sort of a strange um, Difficult spiritual times. Some uh, have termed, I I think, what I was going through a dark night of the soul. I had big questions and and wrestling spiritually. Uh, Work at the church that I was at was very busy. Um, uh, Some things there were discouraging. I was a youth director, and not as many students were coming, and we were losing some of our older students. It was it was a discouraging time. Amy was working full time. We had Rowan, and we sort of reached a point where to continue as we were, we, we had to figure out a couple things. Uh, because on top of all of this, I was wrestling with, is God really calling me to ministry? Is that what he's calling me to do? Is that what he's made me to do? Uh, or perhaps he's calling me to something else for the kingdom that I could be of better use. And so when you have those other things going on already, that question is hard to wrestle with. Um, And indeed, I think it was causing some of those wrestlings. And so Amy and I, you know, would sit out by the fire and we'd pray and we'd talk through these things. And we really got to a point of saying, 
before this next quarter starts, we have to decide, um, is God calling us to this? Because if he's not, this is costly. It's costing time. It's costing energy. It's costing stress. But if he is, then that cost and that stress and those things would be worth it. It would be worth it because we're stepping into the things that God has for us to do. And of course, you know the end of the story, and, and, and God did uh, call me to ministry, but we did reach that point of having to count the cost, having to say, is this really what we, we desire to do? Because if it's not, we're not going to make it. If it's not, we're not going to stick with this. In our passage today, Jesus turns to the crowd, and in a sense, this crowd has been following Jesus throughout these 14 chapters of Luke. Since chapter 9, they've been following Jesus to Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. That is where he's heading. He is going to die for his people. And all along the way, Jesus never sugarcoats what it means to follow him, right? If you know Jesus wanted to turn to the crowds, and he just wanted to, to build up the crowds and have the biggest following possible... He would have talked about how he's going to cut taxes and um, overthrow Rome and just these things that would be on their hearts and on their minds, but he doesn't. He turns to them in this passage, and he asks them to count the cost of following him. He, He looks them in the eye and says, to follow me is not an easy thing. It's a costly thing, and I want you to know the cost. But implicit in that is that Jesus is also looking at them and telling them that he is valuable, that to follow him is costly, but it's a joyful cost for those who find Christ. In other words, we give up certain things, and we're going to look at those things in a moment. We, we, we love Christ more than our relationships. We love Christ more than our life. We love Christ more than all that we have, our possessions, But for the one who actually gives up these things and holds them lightly and puts them uh, at his uh, throne room, uh, we find that it's a joyful cost. Uh, We find that which is truly life because we find Christ himself. Uh, And that's what Jesus offers. And my prayer for you this morning, and this is for you if you've come today and you're not sure if Jesus is your Savior, certainly this passage is for you. But this passage is is more than just for those who are considering for the first time to follow Jesus. Uh, This is for every believer, whether you've walked with him for many years or not. Uh, He preserved this passage for you. And I actually want you to be thinking about, Christian, why would he preserve this passage? Why would Jesus' words be brought to me this morning if it's not just for those who are considering him for the first time? Let's look together and see what Jesus has to say. The, the point of the message this morning is very simply, love Christ more. Love Christ more. More than and fill in the blank. We're going to look at three blanks, but you could fill in the blank. Love Christ more than anything because he is worth it. Because he is worth it. Let's look at what Jesus has to say. Number one, love Christ more than your relationships. Love Christ more than your relationships. Look at the shocking nature of Jesus' words. Right? He, in verse 25, he turns to the crowd. You know, Luke makes a point. This, great crowds are gathering. I, I think he's, he's wanting us to know that Jesus sees that and wants to address those crowds and talk about the cost of following him. And then verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother 
and wife and children and brothers and sisters and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, that, that verse should be shocking to us, right? We should say, wait a minute, what does Jesus mean? He turns to the crowds and he says, do you know what you need to do to follow me? You need to hate your father. Oh, and you need to hate your mother and your brother and your sister. And depending on how your family relationship's going, you're thinking, wow, Christianity's great. But if we think of what else Jesus has had to say, in other words, we, we always put Scripture with Scripture. If, if all of it is God's Word, uh, we have to say, what does Jesus mean when he says this? On the one hand, we don't want to shave off rough edges that aren't meant to be shaved off. This is meant to be shocking. It's meant to be shocking in the sense that Jesus is first addressing, who, who are we to love Christ more than? He, of course, we would expect him to say, like, love me more than your sin, right? Like, give up your sin, give up this. And of course, that's true too. But he says, love me more than your father and mother and wife and husband. The very people that are most natural for us to love. Even non-believers can love their family relatively well. They can love their husband or their spouse or their children, even if they don't know Christ. And, and Jesus goes right there to sort of this natural, most natural relationships and says, even here, I'm speaking into, but what does he mean? Because I think we instinctively know and we biblically know that he, he can't mean literally think of your father and mother and in your heart hate them. Because we know elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus says that if you hate your brother, it's like you've murdered them. It's like you've broken that commandment against murder just by hating them in your heart. Hate, in this sense, is a sin. So what does Jesus mean then? We have to think about other Scriptures as well. 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. There we're called to scripturally, to love and to care for our families. Uh, or, think of, uh, or think of the greatest commandment, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the, sec- but the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these, the two commandments, uh, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So if Jesus was going to summarize all of the law, what's God's will for our life? It's to love God with everything we have and to love our neighbor as ourself. And so Jesus can't mean don't love your father and mother, don't love your relatives, don't love these relationships in your life. So what does he mean? Matthew translates it this way as these different gospel writers give accounts of, of Christ's words. Christ's words are put there this way. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So there it's put slightly differently. And I think that's what Jesus means here. That you would love Christ so radically that he would, <coughs> he would maintain first position so solitarily that in comparison, it's as if you hate all these other things in your life. Of course, not sinfully, but relatively speaking. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as if they were not mourning, and those who had the world's good as if they didn't have dealings with it, for the present form of this world 
is passing away. There's this radical prioritization in the Christian life which starts with Christ himself as the one who is fully God and fully man, the one that we worship, the one that we follow, the one that we love. And this is costly for us because our natural state of things is to love other people more than Christ. Even people that we're called to love, but we tend to love others more than Christ, or we tend to find our security and our comfort in the people in our life, ultimate security and comfort. Right? It's been said that um, someone's life is probably going pretty well if, if not more than one of three things are going haywire, uh, their car their marriage, and their job, right? If, if one of those things is going haywire, okay, we could do this. <laughs> if two of those things is going haywire, that's pretty rough. If three of those things is going haywire, uh, you just throw your hands up, right? But these are the very things, good things, that we tend to put our, our, our greatest security and comfort in, and Jesus is going to address all of them, not, not your car specifically, but he is going to say everything that you have And so what's the cost of following Jesus? It's not necessarily that we will actually lose each of those relationships, although in a minute we'll talk about that. But it means that we can no longer find security, ultimate security and comfort in them. We can no longer use these relationships for our own ambitions or our own desires. It it changes our relationship with the relationships in our life. It puts Christ first. But of course, the cost could also mean losing those in our life. Of course, many of us have lost a loved one outside of anything to do with us being a Christian. But there are those around the world even now, and perhaps some here as well, who have felt the sting, who have felt the cost of following Jesus at the cost of a dear loved one or a friend in your life who disowns you. If you look at a great resource like Voice of the Martyrs or other great resources, they pull together stories around the world of even young people, younger than 18, in Muslim countries who come to know Christ and give their life to him and are just shunned by their family. Uh, Some of them are beaten by their parents and then thrown out on the streets and sort of officially disowned. You are no longer a child of mine as long as you proclaim the name of Christ. So for them, Jesus' words are very literal. And, and each of us have to wrestle with that. Would I be willing to do that? And, and perhaps you've already paid some of that cost. It's a costly thing. I remember an old youth pastor of mine talked about being in, in one such country, and they would go there every year, and they built relationships as they shared the gospel. And he remembers sitting with uh, this young man who was considering following Jesus and and, and, and he wanted to. He's, he said, I, I want to follow Jesus. I, I want him to be my savior, but I'm so scared what's going to happen with my parents. They're going to disown me. I'll be kicked out. And this youth pastor, not lightly, told this young man, he's worth it. Jesus is worth it. That might happen to you, and we will help in any way we can, but he is worth it. Do you believe that? That if it would cost even some of your dearest relationships, that Jesus is worth it? 
Jesus is presenting himself here as one who is worth even that cost. So we're called to love Christ more than our relationships, but in verse 26 and 27, we're called to love Christ more than our lives. And so love Christ more than your life. He says, he says yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Do you see that repeated, cannot be my disciple? Uh, verse 26, and then cannot be my disciple, verse 27, and then over in verse 33, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Uh, It's only those who love Christ more than these things that can be his disciple. And here he says, even your very life. But again, we have to ask, does Jesus literally mean that I should hate my own life? Do I need to hate myself? And we've already seen, we've sort of put Scripture on Scripture and say, no, he's, he's talking about a prioritization, that you would love Christ more than these things. Because imagine if it was different. Imagine if he literally meant, in order to love me in a way that glorifies me, you have to hate other things that are good because you, you sort of diminish your love for them and then you have some bandwidth to sort of elevate your love for me. But actually, it's, it's so much more than that. Uh, for instance, when we're talking about relationships, husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a high calling of love. That's not a diminishing of love. But as high as that calling of love is, that same husband is to love Christ more than his very life. Do you see the difference? And that's what Christ is calling us to here, not to hate our own lives in the sense that Christians are those who just sort of self-loathe in order to make Christ higher in our hearts. No, he's made us in his image. If we belong to him, we've been remade and are being remade in his image. We're precious to him. He bought us with a price. We hate our sin, certainly. We hate our selfishness and put it to death. Jesus puts it this way back in chapter 9, a very similar passage. He says, If any would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world if he loses and forfeits himself? Do you see, he, there Jesus isn't diminishing the value of, of, of our life or, or, or that. He's, he's saying if you, if you would try to save your own life and, and, and find life on your own, you're, you're going to lose it. Everything you're seeking for is not going to happen. But if you lay down your life for me, you will find that which is truly life. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's what Christ desires. And it's this way of the cross, which when hear Jesus' words afresh when he says, anyone who does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You know, of course, for us, the cross is now a beautiful image, as it should be, because through it, Jesus brought about redemption for us. But what would their ears have heard? They would have heard, whoever does not pick up his executioner's chair on his shoulder and follow me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not pick up his lethal injection and walk with me 
cannot be my disciple. And so there's a cost here that Jesus is calling us to consider. That's that whole middle portion as the builder has to consider, can I actually build this? Or the king has to consider, can I, can I actually win this battle? Right? No one rushes into those things without thinking it through. And Jesus turns to the, turns to the crowds, he turns to you, and says, are you willing to pay this cost? Are you willing to love me more than your very life? Again, think about what's most natural, to, to love the family around us, to love uh, preserving our own life. These aren't bad desires. I think God's given them to us. But Jesus is going right there and saying, are you willing to love me more than these? So what's the cost? The, the cost means that we cannot live for ourselves anymore. Of course, it means that if there's sin in our life, that it needs to be done away with, all of it. We can't harbor secret sins or pet sins or just-in-case sins. He demands our whole life. And like those martyrs around the world and like those martyrs in the book of Revelation that are sitting around the throne asking the Lord how long, no, it could mean the cost of literally your life. And Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Number three. Number one was love Christ more than your relationships. Number two, love Christ more than your life. Number three, love Christ more than all that you have. After the parables that Jesus gives, he says these words in verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. And again, we have to ask, does he mean that we can't enjoy the things that he's given us? No, that's not what he means. But he means that our relationship with them is radically transformed. And we hold them so lightly. Back in Luke chapter 12, if you remember, there was the parable of the rich fool who just gathered and gathered and gathered treasures for himself. He dies and God speaks to him and says, um, and says to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. And these things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Or later in Luke 12, he says, fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. Or Paul in 1 Timothy says, as for the rich in the present age... Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And so, of course, this means that we would be literally willing to give up possessions as we, as we are called to do the needs around us, the, the kingdom work around us, or the economic pressure around us, or if we do reach a, a point where our faith begins to affect our bank account in terms of our employment and opportunities that we have. But it also means that we can no longer love things and possessions more than Christ. Young people, I want to ask you a question. 
Close your eyes and think of all the, if you do presents at Christmas, all the cool things you've gotten over the last month. Now, no one's going to take them, no church leader's going to take them from you, but imagine if to follow Jesus meant that you, you had to give up everything that you just got for Christmas. Would that be easy to do? It wouldn't be easy for me. I got some cool stuff too. <laughs> but I want to say to you young people that he, that's not happening literally right now, but he's worth it. He would be worth it. It, it would be costly. That would be hard, <laughs> but he would be worth it. And not only would that be costly, or as we think of these things, relationships and, and, and our very life and all that we have, I want you to consider the costly joy of true discipleship. As, as we are called to hold these things lightly, it, there's a real cost. There's a cost to saying, I'm not going to live for myself anymore. There's a cost to saying, I'm going to love Christ more than all of these things. There's a cost to saying, I'm willing even to die for the gospel But Jesus isn't just putting forth the cost. He's putting forth himself as the ultimate gain for those who would give these things. Remember what he said, those who lose their life, find it. He came that we may have life and have it abundantly. And so it's amazing when you think about Christ himself being the ultimate prize. He's worth any cost. But then you also think about the fact that when, when we do this, when we give our lives to Christ, when he is first and foremost in our hearts, he begins to transform our relationships with these other things. Now the people in our life that we're called to love, we're able to love from a place of security in Christ. We're called to love them with the love of Christ, not just the energy that we can drum up that day. No one in your life actually wants to be first in your heart above Christ. It's a scary place for them to be because they can't provide for you. And so when you love Christ more than anything, that will transform how you love your spouse. That will transform how you love your kids. That will transform how you love your significant other or, or someone you're dating. That, that will change how you view the friendships in your life and how you can serve them and be served by them. Or think of even your own life and, and, and ambitions and goals and, and things that are not wrong for us to have. But if Christ is first and we really mean I surrender all, That will transform how you view your own life and how Christ uses you. Or you think of the possessions in your life and the good things he's given you. You won't just sort of vacillate between guilt and idolatry, but instead Christ will be first and you lay those all things out lightly and say, as long as as God has blessed me with these, I will serve others. I I will worship him for what he has given me. I will constantly pray and say, God, use everything you've given me for your kingdom. And now I'm not finding security in those things, but joy in those things. As we consider the cost of discipleship, and, and here is warning, right? He, he says salt is good, but if it's lost its saltiness, it's, it's useless. Salt is meant to be salty, <laughs> Disciples are meant to be all in. Disciples are meant to love Christ more than anything else. That's what a disciple is. And so if if you've come this morning and you're not sure if Jesus is your Savior, if you're his disciple, I pray that you would count the cost. But my prayer is that you would see that 
any cost is worth it. I could tell you that. Many people here, if you talk to them, would tell you that he's worth it. I've had some cost in my life, but he's worth it. He will give you that which is truly life, what you're actually seeking after. And that's because he knows the cost of disciple-making. You know, we think of the cost of following Jesus, but what are we doing? We're following him on the Jerusalem road. He knows the cost of disciple-making. Laying aside his glory and coming to this earth, living a life of mockery, being spit on, being abandoned, in, in his final hours toward the cross, being abandoned even by those closest to him, going to the cross to die for the sins of his people, the only innocent man who's ever lived. Everyone should have been bowing down and worshiping him, worshiping him and instead they were blaspheming him. And he bore it, as Hebrews tells us, even joyfully. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He paid the cost of disciple-making, which was the cost of his very precious life. And so when he asks you to come and follow him, he's already paid the greater cost. And he's asking you to follow him on this Jerusalem road that is a road of sorrow in many ways, but it's a road full of joy as you follow this Savior. And so I would encourage you, if you've never walked with him on that road, would you walk with him this morning? Would you put your faith in him? If you've walked with him for many years, uh, perhaps you've veered off the path slightly, would you come back on that path? There's some cost to that. There's maybe some selfishness that's bubbled back up into your heart. And you need to let go of it again. But he's worth it. He's worth it. Love Christ more than your relationships, more than your life, more than everything you have. And you will find that which is truly life. Let's pray. And God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for our Savior. God, that he would turn to us, or that he would lay out for us even the cost of following him. I pray, Lord, even this morning, I pray for those that have never stepped onto this Jerusalem road with Jesus, that they would do so now and that they would see the joy of following this Savior. For those who have followed him many years, Lord, I pray that you would renew their love for Christ by your Spirit. Remind them that he is life and nothing else. Would you help us, Lord, to be a church who puts Christ first in our hearts and in our lives and in our actions? Help us to do that even today and even this week. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.